0: Bible, is life shall me in the way.
1: This is Getting to Know Your Bible, a program dedicated to the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's Billy Lambert. The psalmist said,
0: this is the day the Lord hath made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Aren't we thrilled to have the opportunity? No, let me start. That's not, I want to start like that, but that's not how I want to start, exactly. Ready? This is the day the Lord hath made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. That's found in the Old Testament in the book of Psalms, chapter 118, verse 24. And this indeed is a wonderful day. And now we have the privilege of setting aside just a little bit of our time to study the Bible together. Thank you for tuning in to watch Getting to Know Your Bible. We may have those watching today for the very first time and I want to thank you for tuning in and please stay tuned. Today we have a lesson that I have prepared for us that comes out of the Old Testament an Old Testament story, and we're going to make New Testament application. And I'm going to discuss this theme, Too Far to Jerusalem. Please stay tuned. Now today on Getting to Know Your Bible, we continue to offer the free Bible Correspondence Course, and I emphasize this course is free. And we're going to pause long enough for you to learn more about the course and how to receive it.
1: I'm going to be reading now out of the book
0: of 1 Kings, the twelfth chapter, beginning in verse 25. Then Jeroboam built Shechem in the mountains of Ephraim and dwelt there. And he also went out from there and built Penuel. Jeroboam said in his heart, Now the kingdom may return to the house of David. These people go up to offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem. Then the heart of this people will turn back to their Lord, Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they will kill me and go back to Rehoboam, king of Judah. Therefore the king asked advice, made two calves of gold, and said to the people, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, which brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And he set up one in Bethel, and the other he put in Dan. Now this thing became a sin, for the people went to worship before the one as far as Dan. In studying the history of the Jewish people in the Old Testament, We learn that after the judges, that there were kings appointed over God's people. The first three kings were Saul, David, and Solomon. Each one of them reigned for a period of 40 years. In Bible history, this 120 years of the reign of Saul, David, and Solomon could be referred to as the period of the United Kingdom. But with the death of Solomon, there was a division in the kingdom. And those who led in that division, or were involved in that division, were Rehoboam and Jeroboam. And Jeroboam was fearful that the people would go up to Jerusalem to worship, and they would come under the influence of Rehoboam, and therefore they would try to kill him, that is, Jeroboam. So Jeroboam took some advice and he devised a plan where to keep the people from going to Jerusalem. He set up altars, calves of gold, at Dan and at Bethel. And if you will consult a Bible map, I think, of the Bible lands, I think you'll find these two places at the two extremities, one north, one south of the land. And he told the people, now these are your gods. It's just too much for you to go to Jerusalem to worship. You can just worship one of these at one of these places. You can either go to Bethel You can go to Dan and you worship these gods. And that was to prevent the people from worshiping in Jerusalem. And the Bible says it became a sin. And it was a sin. It was a sin of idolatry. He set up calves of gold and they were worshiping those calves of gold. It was a sin of deviation. And they were deviating away from the way what God had planned. It was a sin of substitution. You you see, Jeroboam changed the object of worship. From worshiping God to worshiping calves made out of gold. He changed the place of worship from Jerusalem to Bethel and Dan. And so he changed the priesthood from that which had been ordained of God coming out of the Levitical tribe, and there were priests made of men. And so all of this, we're told, became a sin in the sight of God. It just became too much for them to go to Jerusalem. The city of Jerusalem is a very special place. The name Jerusalem is a very special word. The city of Jerusalem was the crossroads of civilization in that time. It was their capital. It was the seat of government. It's referred to in the Bible as being the city of the great king. Do you remember the story of Daniel? Daniel would pray toward the city of Jerusalem three times a day. Nehemiah came to the city of Jerusalem out of captivity. And he saw that after they had been gone for some 70 years, the walls of the city were torn down. And it broke his heart to see the city in ruins. And he wept. And he set about to help rebuild the walls around the city of Jerusalem. The the name Jerusalem gives us a picture of heaven in Revelation 21 and verse 2. And I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven. So the term is used also frequently to describe the will of God. I've heard men refer to the preaching of the old Jerusalem gospel. Well, what they mean by that is going back to the way the gospel was preached in the very beginning. Not necessarily the style of preaching, but the content of the preaching. And We talk about preaching that has the Jerusalem ring to it. And when people are not willing to obey God, we could truthfully say, for them, it's just too far to Jerusalem. There's an interesting story about Jesus and the city of Jerusalem in Luke, the second chapter. Jesus Christ at this time was 12 years old. And his parents went up to the temple in the city of Jerusalem at the time of the Passover. And then they prepared to leave and to go back home. But he was not with them. But his mother supposed that he was with them. She thought that he was with them. You know, friends, we can never take for granted that the Lord is with us, can we? We need to be certain that the Lord is with us. And then when she went a day's journey without Jesus, and how many people do you know that have gone a day's journey or maybe half a lifetime without the Lord Jesus Christ? But she went a day's journey without him. And when she discovered that he was missing, she began to look for him. And she looked for him among her relatives and among her friends. But you know, she did not find him there. There are people today, when they began to think about things of a spiritual nature, they want to start looking among the relatives and friends. You say, Mama used to do it this way or or I I had a grandfather who was a preacher one time. You're looking for Jesus among your relatives and friends. She didn't find Him there, nor will you. You may have influence that bears upon your life, but you've got to go somewhere else to find Jesus. And then she went all the way back to Jerusalem, to the temple. And that's where she found Jesus. There Jesus was in the temple sitting there reasoning with the doctors of the law. And Jesus told her, don't you know I have to be about my father's business? At the tender age of 12, he was about his father's business and he was there in Jerusalem. But I want to make this observation. Where did his mother find Him. She found Him where she left Him, in Jerusalem. And for her, it wasn't too far to go back and to find her son. The city of Jerusalem is a special place because it was in this city that God predicted that His body His spiritual house, which is also referred to as being the church, would have its beginning. That was a prediction in the Old Testament in the book of Isaiah chapter 2. It shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills." And many people shall go and say, "'Come, let us go up to the house of of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways, and we'll walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem.'" You see, it was predicted by Isaiah that, that the Lord's house would be established in the city of Jerusalem and that the word would go forth from Jerusalem. That is, that the gospel would first be preached in the city of Jerusalem. And isn't it interesting that that's exactly what happened? You know, in Luke the 24th chapter in verse 49, Jesus told the disciples, tarry you in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued from on high. And so when we come to the first chapter of Acts, the second chapter of Acts, The the city that's uh, involved in those two chapters is the city of Jerusalem. And it was in the city of Jerusalem that the day is Pentecost. And it was on that occasion that the apostles and the apostles only were baptized with the Holy Spirit and it allowed them to speak languages that they had never studied or had never known before. So they could speak to the people that were gathered in the city of Jerusalem from all over the world. And on that occasion, there were those who accused the apostles of being drunk. They said, are not all of these which speak Galileans? How here were every man in our own tongue, wherein were born. And others said, these, are, these men are just full of new wine. But Peter said, these are not drunken as you suppose, sinks but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Joel predicted this day in Joel chapter 2, verse 28 to 32. And on, on this day, Peter quotes that prophecy of Joel. And the last passage that he quotes from Joel chapter 2, verse 32 is in verse 21, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so he's talking about salvation. And then he proceeds to show what men did in order that they might receive that salvation and how in Bible times they called upon the name of the Lord. Peter began in verse 22 to talk about Jesus. He talked about him being a man approved of God by the miracles and by the wonders and by the signs that he performed, which God did in the midst of them. That is, in, in the, where these people could see those things happening. And Peter said, as you yourselves also know. In other words, you know I'm telling you the truth about Jesus. And they did not deny the truth about Jesus. If there was ever a time that they could have proven Jesus to be a fraud, that was the place, that was the time, that was the people, but they did not. And then Peter went on to say, Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you've taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. you killed Jesus. you killed Him. But that's not the end of the story because in the very next passage he says whom God has raised up. Jesus is alive. Jesus has been raised from the dead. And even in the Old Testament, it was David who predicted Jesus' resurrection. In verse 25, he said, For David speaks concerning him. I foresaw the Lord before my face. He's on my right hand that, that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice. My tongue was glad. More also thou, thou will leave, leave my soul in hell. Neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. He's talking about Jesus. You say, how do you know that, Brother Lambert? because he in verse 31, he gives a commentary on David's prophecy. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither did his flesh see corruption. So on this occasion, Peter, in the city of Jerusalem, is preaching Jesus to these people, his life, his death, his resurrection. And in the 36th passage of that chapter, he says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made that same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. The one that they crucified was none other than the Son of the living God. They're the ones that have cried out for his blood and said, Crucify him, crucify him. And these men were devout men out of every nation under heaven, according to Acts 2 and 5. But these are the people that wanted Jesus dead. But now Peter's preaching his resurrection, that Jesus lives, that Jesus is risen, that Jesus is alive. Now notice verse 37, please. When they heard this, when they heard what? When they heard the sermon Peter preached, when they heard him talk about Jesus and about his life and his death and his, the fact that Jesus is now alive. When they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts. They were cut in their hearts. They were convicted. When they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts and they said unto Peter and they said unto the rest of the apostles, Now, men and brethren, what shall we do? What shall we do? And I don't believe that they asked that question in a very light way. I believe they asked that question with great intensity, with great earnestness of soul. What shall we do? They've crucified Jesus. What do we need to do? Another way of asking that question is the, way, is the question the jailer asked in Acts 16. What shall I do to be saved? What shall we do? And I want to tell you what Peter said to them. In verse 38, Peter answered and said unto them, Repent. If there's ever been anyone who needed to repent, surely it was the people that killed Jesus. Let's not become smug or censorous toward those folk because, you see, Jesus died for our sins too. And so, in reality, our sins put him on that cross as well. But he said, repent. And what else do we need to do, Peter? Be baptized and be baptized Jesus, why do you suppose Peter said that? It's because Peter knew what Jesus told them in the Great Commission. And the Great Commission according to Matthew's Gospel is, "...go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit." Matthew 28 verse 19 and 20. And so Peter knew that and he also knew what uh, Jesus said according to Mark's Gospel. In Mark 16 and verse 15 and verse 16, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. Peter knew all of that. And so when they asked, what do we need to do? Peter said, repent and be baptized. I want to pause long enough to say that he did not ask them to repeat the sinner's prayer. He he did not ask them to come down to the front to the mourner's bench. But rather, Peter said, what you need to do is to repent and you need to be baptized. And then he was all inclusive. He says, every one of you every one of you. If there was a way that I could speak to all of the people of the world, I would say, repent and be baptized, every one of you, every one of you. By whose authority, Peter, should one repent and be baptized? And it is in the name of Jesus Christ, that is, by the authority of Christ. Jesus is the one who authorized us to baptize, to teach people and to baptize those that are taught. Jesus is the one who authorizes us to baptize people in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Matthew 28, verse 19. So when he said, in the name of Jesus Christ, He was not talking about when we baptize a person, say, I now baptize you in the name of Jesus. He's talking about by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. And if we're to baptize people by the authority of Christ, they are to be baptized in water, immersed in water. Because baptism is an immersion in water and we do it in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in the name of the Godhead. But Peter, for what reason do you want these people to repent of their sins and to be baptized? And notice verse 38 carefully, for the remission of sins. And that's not because their sins were already remitted. It was in order that their sins might be remitted. They were to repent and be baptized for salvation. They were to repent and to be baptized, that their sins be washed away in the blood of the Lamb. Revelation 1:5, Acts 22, 16. So this is what Peter told people on the day of Pentecost. He said, You need to repent, you need to be baptized. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises unto you and to your children, all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. With many other words did he testify and exhort them, saying, Save yourselves, save yourselves from this untoward generation. And the Bible says in the last verse of that chapter, verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added unto the church daily such as should be saved. Friends, Acts chapter 2 is pre-denominational Christianity. It is Christianity before denominations ever existed in the world. This is the beginning of the church. This is the beginning in the city of Jerusalem. And churches of Christ throughout the world are pleading with honest, truth-seeking men and women. But let's just go back to the Bible. Let's go all the way back to the gospel as it was preached first in the city of Jerusalem. And let's just read that account of the beginning of the church And in trying to answer the question, what must I do to be saved? Let's just give the same answer that was given nearly 2,000 years ago on the day of Pentecost. And let's become what they were just Christians. And let's just be a member of what they were members of and they were just called the church. The Lord had the saved to the church. Jesus is the one who said, I'll build my church. And it began in the city of Jerusalem about A.D. 33, almost 2,000 years ago, the church had its beginning. Let it not be too far for you to go to Jerusalem. Let's just go back, all the way back, and restore first-century Christianity in the 21st century. We can do that today, and there are people all over the world who are joining in with this concept of restoring the church restoring the uh, uh, New Testament church as it existed in the beginning. I want to thank you for watching today. I want to give you a personal invitation to visit the Church of Christ in your community. And also, right now, pick up the telephone. Call for the free Bible course. Don't hesitate to do that. Call right now for it. And we'll send it to you, or if you prefer, you can take it online. But we want you to know that we love you and that we want you to go to heaven one day. Let's not be like men of old, and it's too far to do what God says. I want to thank you for watching today, and until we meet again, may the Lord bless you and keep you,
1: is my prayer. We want to help you as much as possible in your search for a personal relationship with God. You can now easily access our free Bible correspondence course online at gettingtoknowyourbible.org. If there's any way we can help you grow closer to God, please email us at knowyourbible@golftel.com, at or call us anytime at 1-877-711-5214.